The state of integrity is never static. It's as susceptible to corruption and degradation as it is amenable to improvement or fortification. We're in unique times, challenging times, but with an age-old fight for essential principles. With the current backslide of public trust, we get a glimpse of what we stand to lose in our homes and our communities. The hard-fought-for values of trust and integrity form the bulwark of strength for the nation, but that foundation will crack and crumble through apathy, arrogance, and neglect. The issue of trust transcends today's headlines. The principle of integrity surpasses current politics and politicians. Beyond the government or the media, this is a we-the-people problem that requires we-the-people responses. The Deseret News will convene in Washington, D.C., Integrity and Trust, Lessons from Watergate and Today. So we will be joined by legendary reporter Bob Woodward on this week's edition of Therefore What? Therefore What? is a weekly podcast that breaks down the news while breaking down barriers, challenges you in the status quo, explores timely topics and timeless principles, and leaves you confident to face what's next. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News, and this is Therefore What? We are very excited to have Bob Woodward join us today for Therefore What. Bob, thanks for uh, coming on the program. Thank you. We are uh, really looking forward to the event in Washington, D.C. next week at the Museum, where we will talk about integrity and trust, lessons from Watergate to today. Uh, and so I want to spend just a, a little bit of time doing a just a quick backdrop in terms of the, the Watergate scandal, the lessons that you learned from that. Could you have imagined when you and uh, your partner began that whole journey uh, of where that would possibly lead you, not just in that era, but uh, for the next uh, 40 years? Uh, no way. Uh, of course, it was a piece at a time. What's uh, interesting uh, in the context of what you're talking about uh, today is as we all the Watergate investigations and, of course, uh, in the case of Nixon, thousands of hours of his tapes, it showed that Watergate was much larger than a burglary into the Democratic headquarters. It was a series of wars that Nixon launched a couple of years before the Watergate burglary, actually. And the focus uh, initially was to expand wiretapping and break-ins at the people who were leading the anti-Vietnam War movement. And this was, there was a document, top secret, signed by Nixon uh, called the Houston Plan. Uh, it was rescinded because J. Edgar Hoover objected. He felt that FBI, their job was wiretapping and breaking and entering. Then Nixon launched uh, a war against the news media, 17 wiretaps on reporters and White House officials, the plumber's unit, which went around and broke into the psychiatrist of Daniel Ellsberg, who had leaked the water, uh, who had leaked the Pentagon Papers, then the war against the Democrats, then the war against the system of justice, the Watergate cover-up, and then Nixon spent 20 years after 
he resigned uh, in a war against history, trying to say, oh, actually, it didn't happen that way, when, of course, the tapes documented that it did. So, so this was a, a long-running war, uh, and obviously uh, integrity and truth and trust uh, were really at the core of that. As you began to kind of put some of those pieces together, uh, what were some of the things that were surprising to you early on? Where were, what were the moments when you thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is way more than uh, a simple uh, news story we're doing? That's a great question. Uh, First was the amount of money involved, that it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you just knew from the way any organization works or the Nixon reelection committee or the Nixon White House, that if they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, that means there was higher level approval. So uh, the follow the money uh, directive uh, was very important in this. And then you saw a strategy that Nixon launched to make the conduct of the news media the issue rather than his own conduct. I, I want to drill down on that. So let's let's sidetrack from uh, the Watergate lesson to today's lesson, because obviously uh, you, you've covered uh, every administration since Nixon and, and a little before. Um, and you've seen how that battle against the media plays out when a, a White House is going against that last year. Uh, the the escalation of the, the battle between the current White House uh, and the news media uh, really got to the point where the news media had to, to, to punch back a little bit. Over 300 newspapers across the country uh, weighed in with editorials on, uh, on that. Uh, we chose to do something slightly different here at the Deseret News uh, because we felt there were some in the national press in particular who were making themselves the story or the center of it. Uh, obviously, the president was doing his portion. Uh, and so for our editorial, we, we simply ran the First Amendment with uh, our, our most compelling one-word editorial that just said ditto. <laughs> so, so give me your perspective, Bob, on where are we? Is, are we always going to have these battles between the press and the presidency? Uh, where, where do we stand on that today? Well, there's, there's going to be tension. But, of course, uh, President Trump has adopted the Nixon strategy with attacking the news media as uh, fake news, enemy of the people. And uh, it's worked to a certain extent. And I think it's worked in part because uh, many people in the news media have become emotionally unhinged about Trump and particularly go on television and show their hand that they are not just reporters, uh, neutral fact gatherers, but have become advocates. And I, in my book, Fear on Trump in the White House, try to focus on scenes and actions where he things happened that uh, show the governing crisis we have now and that there's no advocacy. I was uh, in Maryland last night uh, doing a a talk and being interviewed uh, in Frederick, Maryland, uh, in an old theater, 1,100 people there, and the discussion really was uh, very much about the news media needs to stick to facts and not become 
part of what's called the resistance or uh, it, it's not our job. And uh, so it, it, we're, we're, the tension uh, is exacerbated by Trump. And uh, look, let's face it, sometimes uh, the media, I think we make mistakes. I know we make mistakes. I've made mistakes. And you just need to own up to it and not uh, get defensive. Uh, my overall conclusion is the news media, though uh, sometimes we get too emotional or do make mistakes, all the work, most of the work is done in good faith. So as one of the things I know you've mentioned from your, your Watergate uh, episodes is this idea of restraint and that restraint always works. What were the what really drilled that into you during Watergate and then how do you think that needs to be applied today? Well, in in Watergate we had uh, the great editor Ben Bradley who would always say like uh, the night Nixon resigned, he ran around the newsroom and said don't gloat, just play it straight and uh, I think that's really good advice always and to uh you need uh, strong editors uh there are scenes in our book all the president's men and the movie version where we would write a story and, and it was bradley who would say slap the copy and say no you don't have it yet and go talk to more people get more sources get more specifics the building blocks of good journalism and so there was no political posturing on his part, and I think that's essential to any good journalism. So, so as you look at that, Bob, um, you know, in, integrity obviously is not party specific. Uh, the <laughs> you can just look at any anything happening at, on any day of the week, and there's there's something going on, uh, whether it's a, a Democrat or a Republican or or a business person or a, a media mogul, um, and so it's not party specific for sure. But from a from a journalism standpoint, how do you how do you balance the uh, some of the politicians are saying, well, the ends justify the means. Some uh, reporters are saying, well, the ends justify the means. How do you balance that? Well, you, I, I think the ends don't justify the means. And uh, we need to really, really be careful about that. And that the. the You've just got to be cool. You have to. I have the luxury of time working on books, so I can work for a year or two on one. Don't have to rush to print. Can try to get uh, specifics and documents and meeting notes, and it's the authenticity. People can look at that. I found Trump supporters who've looked at my book on Trump, and they they don't like it, but they realize that it's done and. In fact, somebody was, uh, the moderator last night in Frederick, Maryland, was saying he read the book and he thought it's very fair. It's let's Trump have his say. You see where he asks very good questions uh, at a number of meetings and so forth. So that's part of the story. And it, uh, we're not uh, prosecutors. We are journalists. And don't you think, too, that we live in this age of, I think one thing that battles the truth is instant certainty, that, you know, we have to have that instant, you know, hit, or you got to be the first to the story or the first talking head to, you know, declare this or that. Does that instant certainty, uh, is that an enemy of truth? Yes, that's a great term, instant certainty. And what happens in or particularly on cable television, both sides, left, 
right with uh, Fox News, people are so, this is the way it is, there's no alternative, there's not another side. And the point I was making about my book on Trump is very tough, and I think it establishes there's this, as I call it, the governing crisis. But at the same time, it's not saying, oh, this means only one side. What it says is there, uh, you know, it's a story. And, you know, we, we learn, and this is the great teaching, I think, uh, that comes from trying to understand human nature in the end. Of course, no one, certainly myself, understands human nature, but everyone is a mixed bag that they may have positive traits, negative traits. And even the great leaders uh, in the American presidency, you look at Abraham Lincoln or Franklin Roosevelt, and there were negative traits also and things that they did that maybe uh, reached uh, too far. So in journalism, you need to absorb that understanding of human nature and apply it in a way that is uh, I go back to that word cool. You've got to be emotionally detached from what you're trying to explain and understand. I think one of the things that you proved out during the Watergate, not, not only during the Watergate area, but in, in your work since then, uh, it, it's a it's an old uh, quote that's attributed to Buddha. I'm not uh, sure we can confirm that or not, but it, it says three things cannot be hidden long, the sun, the moon, and the truth. And so I, w- I want to ask you kind of a two-part question. Uh, how did you see that play out, particularly in Watergate, uh, as the truth came out? And then how did that impact your perception of then-Vice President, then-President uh, Gerald Ford? Well, um, first of all, I don't know about the sun and the moon. Uh, <laughs> the truth, as Ben Bradley said, the truth emerges, but it takes time. It is not, it is the enemy of your notion of instant certainty, that it's really, you you need to dig and listen and revisit and uh, adopt this stance of, uh, as I say, of uh, you need to be a little dispassionate, you need to show uh, some forbearance, but also you need to be as aggressive uh, as possible. So, uh, it it takes time and you you know that's the patience you need the boss to be patient okay and as it relates to to Gerald Ford how did uh, how did that emerge for you well in the end at first when Ford announced he was pardoning Nixon 30 days after Ford became president my immediate reaction was this is corrupt there's it had the aroma of a deal i later 25 years Later, did a book called Shadow about the legacy of Watergate and the presidencies of Ford through Clinton and discovered in the documentation and extensive interviews with Ford uh, that there really was no deal and that Ford was uh, took the high road trying to do what was in the national interest, and that was to get Nixon off the front page. Everyone was consumed. What's going to happen to Nixon now as a private citizen uh, in September 1974, 30 days 
after he resigned, and it was continuous, and Ford said uh, to me in a very plaintive voice, I needed my own presidency, so he acted on the pardon uh, in what he deemed to be the national interest, and I think he had a, a strong case. I think he acted in the national interest, and it was not a corrupt Deal. Do you think we have many in, in Washington today who are asking that question? What, what is in the best interest of the country? <laughs> well, that's the question, isn't it? Uh, no. And uh, we've set up a political system. It's become increasingly polarized, obviously. And everyone's looking at their own personal interest or the interest of their party or their interest group. And there is such a thing as the national interest. You and I could sit down with a, a whiteboard and what are the things that we really need to accomplish the whole nation, or at least uh, what will be what I call the uh, getting to the what is the greater good for a majority of people in the country and not be interest group or party driven. Well, I want to shift now. We're going to have this uh, event that the Deseret News is hosting at the museum on January 14th. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to having uh, not only have you on the stage for a, a Watergate perspective and a perspective on integrity and trust, uh, but you're going to be joined by other D. Todd Christofferson of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, and he obviously has a very interesting uh, connection to Watergate in that he was the, the young law clerk to Judge Sirica, uh, one of the first to hear the Watergate tapes. Uh, tell me, what is what is interesting to you? What are you looking forward to in terms of your interaction with Elder Christofferson? Well, the whole role of Judge Sirica in this was uh, incredibly significant. And uh, he was very tough when he sentenced the Watergate burglars and others who at the middle level uh, were involved in this. He was the one who said, no, Nixon had to turn over the tapes, and that eventually went to the Supreme Court, and he was vindicated. So I want to ask Todd about what was it like? What were I, I've heard stories of the first moment Judge Sirica heard some of these tapes and what his reaction was, and his reaction was as I understand it, he, he was appalled that the president of the United States was ordering all kinds of illegal activity, and he said, we can't have this, and so there was a trial subpoena for the tapes, and Sirica said it had to go forward, and uh, vindicated in the Supreme Court, and finally, uh, it was just... Uh, Two weeks after the Supreme Court ruled in Judge Sirica's favor that Nixon resigned. Uh, I know that uh, Elder Christofferson was often the uh, spokesperson for Judge uh, Sirica in that uh, whole process. Were there any moments you remember crossing paths or, or any, of those, uh, any of those moments jump out? Uh, not not with him, but with Judge Sirica, I was at a, a meeting uh, in the whole Watergate process, and uh, Judge Sirica said to me that uh, he, of course, presided at the first Watergate trial where the prosecutor said it was the five burglars and their two operation directors, Gordon Liddy and Howard Hunt, who did all this on their own, and Gordon Liddy was the mastermind. Carl Bernstein and I had written in the Post 
before this trial, no higher-ups were involved, were approving the money and so forth, including the former attorney general, people in the White House, people in the Nixon campaign. And Sirica said to me, it was very important to, as he saw the total contradiction of what was appearing in his courtroom with what we were writing in the Washington Post. And so he started questioning people as judge in the case, and eventually uh, one of the burglars, the lead burglar, James McCord, wrote his famous letter to Judge Sirica saying uh, there was cover-up, higher-ups were indeed involved. And so the pressure that he applied uh, was was critical uh, to getting to the truth here. Uh, I remember there was the uh, the a scene where uh, Fred Thompson was uh, questioning during the the Watergate hearings, and uh, it was an open hearing. And he asked uh, Andrew Butterfield if there were any recordings. Uh, and then when he said yes, it was sort of this stunned moment. Uh, was curious. Were you there that day, or and if not, when you heard that, what what kind of chaos did that bombshell cause in your newsroom? Okay, well, it was Alexander Butterfield who was oh, one of correct. Dixon's top aide, and uh, two people uh, the Friday before that public testimony, two people had told me that Butterfield had come in for a confidential interview and disclosed this taping system, and I was stunned and finally called Ben Bradley at home on Saturday night and said Nixon taped himself. And Bradley uh, was stunned also, but I said, what do you think? And should we try to do a story? Should we pursue it? And Ben, in uh, his style, said, well, I wouldn't bust one on it. And uh, I said, well, what do you think overall? He said, I think it's just a B plus. And so I took the next day, Sunday off. And when there was that testimony, which was on uh, live national television, it just uh, it was an explosion. Uh, Talk about a bombshell. And uh, Bradley came by my desk and knocked it and said, "Okay, it's more than a B plus. Definitely more than a B plus on that one. Therefore, what? Well, as we as we come down the home stretch here, Bob, I, I want to uh, uh, to have you just weigh in a little bit in terms of the the lessons for today uh, from Watergate. We we call this show "Therefore What" for a reason because we we always like to end with a focus on "Therefore What." The, those who've been listening for the last twenty minutes or so, uh, what do you hope they come away with? How do you hope they think different? How do you hope they act different? Well, you know, that's not my job as a journalist. It's to try to find out uh, what happened and and present it in uh, articles or in books uh, in in the most authoritative way. And I have a kind of unending, undying optimism and belief in the political system we have in this country. And it's the job of the politicians and particularly to sort through what the facts are and decide what to do. And that's uh, in the hands of the politicians. I think it's in the end in the hands of citizens to make their own judgment, and they should. But um, I can't 
step back. Uh, we were talking about the Ford pardon of Nixon in 74. I was sure it was corrupt. 25 years later, I investigated in detail what happened, and uh, it turns out not to be corrupt. It turns out to be that Ford was operating in what he deemed to be the national interest. So that gives you pause as a journalist. And so, you know, it's it's in other people's court, my view. And I think too many people in my business are even opinion writers are, you know, saying this and that, and it means the following. And that's, that's fine. But for me, it's... Uh, stand on the sidelines and try to find out as much of the truth and what the facts are as possible. Bob Woodward, we appreciate you joining us today. We're looking forward to a great conversation, Integrity and Trust, Lessons from Watergate to Today, uh, featuring Bob Woodward and Elder D. Todd Christofferson. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today, Bob. We, we look forward to seeing you on Monday. Thank you. Remember, after the story is told, after the principle is presented, after the discussion and debate have been had, the question for all of us is, therefore what? Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening today. And be sure to rate this episode and leave us a review. Follow us on DeseretNews.com slash TW and subscribe to our newsletter. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News. Thanks for engaging with us on Therefore What?